This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get Hefty Ultra Strong with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes. I'm Sam Abul-Samad from Navigant Research. And I'm Rebecca Lindland from Rebecca Drives. All right, so we're going to talk about the FCA Renault merger and then back out and um, with some tweels and some other things. But first, we're going to talk about what we're driving. And Sam, well, you were a, mostly a passenger this week, you said. Uh, you also got yourself into the uh, 2019 Hyundai Tucson Ultimate for a while. Yeah. So, um, yeah, as you mentioned, I, I was uh, mostly a passenger uh, most of this week uh, as I was in New York for several days uh, with my wife. I was I was speaking at a conference in Manhattan and uh, spent some time uh, taking advantage of the uh, the New York City subway system, which actually, you know, was, was not bad. It was actually... <laughs> That's, it's a better way to get around than anything above ground. And, you know, when Elon Musk, this is mass transit, I say, fuck you, Elon. And you can bleep that out. <laughs> oh, wow. You know what? <laughs> We're not going to. Anyway, uh, did you see any pizza rats? Uh, did not see any pizza rats. Did not see any, okay. did not see any rodents of any kind. Um, there was uh, there was a bagpiper in one of the subway stations. Um, okay. Uh, right around rush hour. So that was entertaining. Uh, but uh, no, you know, we, we spent, you know, used Lyft a few times uh, to get to and from the airport and, and uh, on a couple of other trips. Um, did a lot of walking, uh, walked through Central Park and, and spent some time uh, on the subway to go to Brooklyn and also to head downtown uh, to, uh, to Chelsea to go and take a walk along the, the High Line, which is if you, if, if you visit New York or if you live in New York and you have not walked the High Line yet, it's definitely something you should do. I mean, it's, it's a pretty amazing place, but, you know, we'll, that's, that's for another conversation. But um, – uh, before we left for New York, uh, did get to spend a few days with the refreshed 2019 Hyundai Tucson. Uh, Tucson being uh, Hyundai's uh, compact, uh, but not quite subcompact uh, crossover. You know, it's been around for a while in a couple of different uh, iterations now, and you know, I've I've 
I've liked the current generation Tucson. Uh, you know, I like the design of it. Uh, I like the, the driving dynamics of it. Um, for 2019, it got a bit of a refresh. Uh, you know, they tweaked the front fascia a little bit, tweaked the lights, you know, as, as companies, automakers are want to do in the middle of a product life cycle. Um, changed uh, some specs. They dropped the the 1.6 liter turbo uh, that had been in there as the, the premium engine. Uh, so now you just have the two liter naturally aspirated um, now paired with um, uh, a, let's see, it's still a, still a six speed. Yeah. Six speed automatic um, in, in uh, both cases or yeah, six speed with the two liter and then a seven speed automatic with uh, the, the 2.4 liter naturally aspirated engine, which is 181 horsepower, 175 foot pounds of torque, um, which is, is adequate for, you know, for this vehicle. It's, you know, it's not going to, uh, uh, you know, win any drag races, but it's, it's fine. You know, I, I'm not going to complain <laughs> about it. Um, gets decent fuel economy. Uh, you know, the, the Tucson, you know, I think is overall attractive. It's it's nice on the inside. You know, it's well executed. Um, you know, it's not. I wouldn't call it luxurious. Um, I probably wouldn't put. You know, I mean, one of its competitors is the the Mazda CX five, which we've talked about at some length in the past. And I think the CX five overall has a, a better, uh, a nicer interior. Um, you know, not, you know, nicer materials. You know, it feels a little more premium. Um, and you know the, the the price point as we've discussed before uh, reflects that you know it's, it's got a premium feel. The the Tucson I drove uh, was the ultimate trim, which is the the top end trim. Uh, now one of uh, seven different trim levels they have on the Tucson now, uh, with various combinations of of options on there. Um, and this one was front wheel drive. It was not uh, it was not all wheel drive. And even with that, uh, you know, the price came to uh, almost $33,000 delivered, which, you know, is a little bit higher than I'm used to seeing on, on a Tucson like this. Um, you know, still good, you know, five, $6,000 cheaper than the, the last CX-5 I drove. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd say, it, you know, in a lot of ways it feels like it, but that's, you know, it's... Right, it's not, it feels... Feels a couple grand cheaper. Yeah, you know, I mean, it just, mainly in, just in terms of the materials. Just you know, the, the materials, the dashboard materials, you know, don't feel as premium. Um, but you know, doesn't that doesn't take away anything from the functionality? Although you know, I do like that the Tucson or like the the Mazda, you know, has a central rotary controller, which the which Hyundai does not use, uh, at least on the on Hyundai brand vehicles. They do on Genesis, but not on Hyundai's. Um, you know, so it's a touchscreen, but it's a nice touchscreen. You know, it's a it's an eight inch uh, touchscreen. It's got Hyundai's uh, standard uh, user interface on there, which which works very well. Uh, no complaints about that. Uh, you know, the screens that they use, the disp the actual displays that Hyundai uses on their vehicles, are actually I think some of the best I've seen. Uh, you know, it, among almost any brand because they. Um, they, they don't have any glare, you know, when the sun is shining in from the side, you don't see any reflections off of it. It doesn't get washed out in bright sunlight. It, you know, it's easy to read all the time. I'm, you know, as you know, I'm not crazy about touchscreens in general, but it, it does work. Um, you know, th this one, you know, the, the display itself works as, you know, and is, it looks, looks good and, and it's usable. Um, and if, you know, at this price point, 
you know, most of the, uh, almost all of the um, safety features, you know, active driver assist features that you would expect are included in this vehicle, you know, so it's got adaptive cruise control, um, forward collision avoidance with pedestrian detection, uh, lane keeping uh, assist, you know, and Hyundai's lane keeping assist, and I think I've talked about it before on some of the other models like the Elantra, actually works really well and does a, does a really good job of, you know, actually trying to center the car in the lane so it's not ping-ponging back and forth um, and actually tracks the lane, you know, surprisingly well. You know, it's, it's not a hands-off system like a Super Cruise. It's a hands-on system, but it, it, does, it does what you would expect it to, you know, makes, you know, it reduces the, wor- the workload of the driver a little bit while still requiring the driver to remain attentive. Um, and uh, blind spot monitoring, hill uh, hill assist control, all, you know, all all those usual features that you find increasingly find in a lot of vehicles now. So uh, you know, I think it's it's a pretty decent value um, in the segment. You know, today, you know, the about the only thing you can really add to this one um, that you know that I was driving is the all wheel drive. You know, which adds about I think about another fifteen hundred dollars to it. Uh, and that's pretty much maxed out. You know, everything else is in here, you know, leather seats, um, you know, heated seats, seated steering wheel, um, you know, all the all the good stuff. You know, and the the, the design changes they did this year to the, the front fascia, basically, you know, a little more in keeping with kind of the direction they've gone in the past year or so with the, the Sonata and the Elantra and some of the other models, you know, a little bit sharper edged at the front. Um, you know, a little more sharply creased around the headlights. Uh, and I, th- I think it's, it's a nice update. How did it drive? It, it drives well. You know, the, the ride quality is really good. You know, it's not, um, it, it's not a, a sport crossover or a sporting crossover, but it's driving dynamics are, are, are good. Um, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't understeer too much, you know, that the limit it'll understeer, but, um, it's got fairly precise steering, you know, not a lot of feedback, but it's got, it's got fairly precise steering. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it goes exactly where you point it. I'm, who could ask for more? <laughs> well, I, I certainly race. could, but you know, it, that would, it would certainly cost a lot more too. Yeah, I'm. Not, I was actually so when you said it was like 33, I was actually surprised it wasn't uh, more because that's it's not actually that expensive. I, I realize it's a compact, uh, but it, a they're not that compact, and and b you know like you were talking about the CX-5. Um, I'm trying to think of other things that it competes with, right? Like the, um, the CRV or is it, is yeah, it too C- small to be a CRV? No, it's, yeah, it's in the, it's in the same class as the CRV, the RAV4, uh, the Ford Escape, um, a little bit, a little bit shorter in the Nissan Rogue, you know, closer to, uh, like the Rogue Sport, uh, size. Cause it's, it's a two row, uh, the Rogue, you know, although, you know, really the Rogue should not be a three row, you know, it's, it's, it's got that vestigial <laughs> third row there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's in that same segment, which is, you know, one of the largest segments in the market today. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why they offer so many different, um, sort of ways to configure it. Um, because they understand they're going to sell a lot of them and people may want them slightly different. Uh, and it's sort of like a way to, to make, some options without having too many like individual selections available too. So it's, it's, it's a clever way to, to sort of stagger the lineup. Um, and I'm, 
I am curious at why they have the 2 liter and the 2.4 because the 2.4 doesn't make that much more power uh, or torque than the 2 liter. And if, uh, the last time I drove one, I had the 1.6, which has a, a pretty nice flat torque curve. So maybe it's the torque curve that the larger engine provides. Yeah, still. well, the... the- the two the two four you know the the two liters one hundred and fifty foot pounds the the two the two four is one hundred and seventy five but the peak is lower uh, so the two liters at forty seven hundred rpm and the the two liter the two four is at four thousand rpm uh, so that that does make a noticeable difference you know having uh, you know compared the two that's these same engines you know in other Hyundai products before like the Sonata in particular. Uh, you can you can feel the difference in performance between these two engines. The two four right. definitely feels stronger. As well, it should. <laughs> and I, I actually I do like that they're they're naturally aspirated too, so that they're not they don't do that turbo thing where it's um, good fuel economy numbers on the sticker and then just thirsty as hell in reality too. You know you know that a naturally aspirated engine is going to sort of hit its numbers. Right, you know, and and this one, you know, with the two four, it's rated uh, in front wheel drive form. It's rated at twenty two city, twenty eight highway, twenty five combined. I got about twenty six uh, overall during my time driving it. Uh, you know, the all wheel drive, you lose a couple of miles per gallon off of each of those numbers. Um, so, you know, I, th- I think that it's, you know, if if you're looking for more fuel economy, you probably want to stick with the two liter. Um, and I think this may be one one area where particularly uh, later this year, you know, it, you're going to start to see some competitors that really outdo these numbers, uh, particularly, you know, with the new Escape, you know, which is going to be available as both a hybrid or a plug-in hybrid version. Um, there should be uh, a CRV hybrid arriving maybe late this year, probably early 2020. Uh, it's already on sale in Europe and in Japan, uh, so it, and it, it will be coming here at some point. They just haven't said exactly when. Um, and you know, there's also, of course, the Rav4 hybrid and and other uh, you know uh, other more efficient options. But uh, you know, I think you know this is these numbers are not bad for for this thing, and you know, the price point is certainly uh, fairly fairly competitive. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's the Hyundai thing. Yeah. Um, well, so, all right. Uh, let me l- let me change it up on us a little bit, and we'll go from affordable and uh, you know efficient to completely not affordable. Because I was driving a <laughs> um, an AMG C forty three convertible uh, oh, the week so before nice. this. Like, yeah, it was it was quite nice, but um, <laughs> it's seventy eight thousand dollars for a C class. <laughs> Which I know Mercedes have always been expensive, yeah, but, it, but it's an AMG, so seventy eight thousand dollars is a bargain. Right, that's true. Like that's, you, you that's have to put it in perspective. Top, um, and it's it's not the AMG sixty three either. It's the you know it's the the C forty three. So uh, it's quite a it's it's a definitely a split personality car though, because for the first couple days it was rainy and I had the top up and I left it in comfort mode, which is the default when you start it. And okay. There's the fact that I don't really like convertibles all that much. Um, this one, I think the, certainly the styling is interrupted, shall we say by the convertible top. (laughs) It's, it's just not good looking with the top up. It looks kind of weird and lumpy. Um, 
but in comfort mode too, it's, it really modulates your inputs. So it, it doesn't feel as, as, as lively. It's sort of, it, it just, it's sort of, it kind of, the car kind of lays there, I guess. And if, if that's a, a good way to phrase it, it's just, you know, it, it operates like a car, but it doesn't seem to have any sort of spirit to it, you know? And then you put the top down and you put it in sport plus mode and it's hilarious. <laughs> uh, especially if you, because, you know, it opens up the Somehow exhaust. I don't into, think that that's the, the, the descriptor that the folks in the Falterbach were thinking, were looking for. No, it is hilarious, good fun. It scared the bejesus out of my 11 year old because in, in sport plus mode, it has, um, uh, it has, you know, an active exhaust. So it'll, it'll open it up to powerful mode for the exhaust. And then and we put it in manual shift mode too. So you can play with the paddles and, and the, the, uh, I think it's the nine G tronic is it's actually quite good, um, using flappy paddles. And that's also a thing that I'm not really all that enthused by, but uh, it, it works here. Uh, it will, it will burble and spit and crackle like overrun. But also when you shift it, depending on you know, where your foot is and what RPM the engine's turning, it will actually just pop like a, like somebody shot a 22 next to you. <laughs> it just gives off this loud, just like pop every time you shift. And it, it just it startled him. And he was like, what, what was that? <laughs> and I'm laughing my head off. It's like, oh, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. Because uh, the awesome. whole, the whole car sharpens up, you know, the steering gets better. It, it gets a lot more responsive to your inputs. And, and it, it, it really like, this is a car that comes alive when you put it in sport plus mode. So I, I like that it has its, um, sort of, it's noticeably different through its modes. Um, and it really is best with the top down in sport or sport plus mode being used as it's sort of supposed to be because it has an amg badge it's good looking with the top down it looks really really good it's a, it's a nice convertible you know the interior is lovely and nicely finished it's not not quite as nice as the how g550 was, i was in how was that touchpad thing um uh, to interact with yeah so i i don't like it because you brush it and it'll do mm. stuff like mm. if you just move your hand right or you get your cup of coffee or something and you you, you brush across it and all, all of a sudden it changes the station or whatever. You're like, what, what is going on? <laughs> yes. uh, so I tend to actually shut that stuff off when I have the, the opportunity or, or I'm just reminded so that I, I'm not doing that. Uh, because I do think it's nice that you can use it as an input device, but I, and you know, swipe and gesture control was probably helpful, but I was okay with the the rotary controller, although I think that's also kind of clunky. I there were times where I was just like, I wish this was a touch screen, right. so I could just do what I need to do. Um, so, really, when I've been in Mercedes, I uh, I had the GLE uh, three hundred and fifty recently. One of the things that I think they've done a really nice job on, um, as as far as the HMI is. Uh, the steering controls, I don't know, the, the controls on the steering wheel, I should say, I just think are really clear and concise and minimal. And I don't know, there's just something Is that, that really on the appeals new, on to On the me. new GLE or on the previous on the new, generation? On the okay. new GLE. Yeah, the new GLE. It's just, it's this brushed satin finish yeah. and there's just small icons. I just think they're really clear and really well placed and just much more... Uh, they're they're more intuitive. I think I always look to see like what's on the right hand and what's what's on the left hand, 
and that's a, I mean, I'm, I'm right-hand dominant, but so I don't know. I just, I felt like, I felt like it was, it was a really nice setup. No, I, I agree. And I, one of the things that Mercedes and BMW and Volvo, you know, all the Europeans tend to be pretty good at is standardizing those mm. driver critical features. Uh, so, you know, going from a G550 to the C43, it's the exact same controls in the steering wheel spokes, you know, for, for right. cruise and stuff. So, you, you know, that the little button for resume is there, you know, how to, you know, start up the cruise control and use it. And, um, the, there's the little rocker, I think on the other, uh, the, or the little thumb wheel for audio volume on the other spoke. And it, so it makes sense from, from car to car to car, you know, they, they've had established, this is the Mercedes way. And we're going to do it this way in, in all of our cars. So I, right. I think that's nice. And I, I did like it uh, because it's not festooned with, with all kinds of controls that you got to look at them to figure out what they are. You can you can operate them by feel and, and know your way around. Uh, I also liked in the C43, it has hard buttons on the console to navigate to, you know, you can hit map, you can hit uh, Navi, you can hit, um, there's a button for radio and, and phone, which didn't um i don't think that was there in the in the g550 so I, I had to use the menus more so it was actually a little easier to use with hard buttons and if they were there in the g550 and i missed them shame on me so i somebody think can I, let us know. I, yeah i think i had them in the gle as well so that may be the new version of it but i agree i think that they were there i like having that those two options either menu driven or just buttons yeah, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna go and drop seventy seven thousand dollars, seventy eight thousand dollars on a C class convertible, this is this is highly recommended if you have the means. I'll quote Ferris Bueller uh, <laughs> because it's <laughs> it's just it it really it's a good fun car that can also when you set it into its sort of boring mode can just be like that Sunday driver, you know, C class because the C class is like. That's the Mercedes that it's a crapshoot when you get behind, whether it's going to be somebody just mm. like tottering along and out for ice cream and, you know, make you lose your mind. <laughs> or, uh, you know, this one, which has certainly quite a bit of performance packed into it. Uh, and I, it's it's a really good performer. The three liter twin turbo engine, and it doesn't sound all that powerful these days. It's 362 horsepower, 384 pound feet of torque. Uh it moves this thing along quite well, and it sounds great doing it. Uh, it's just overall, it's it's a really good package. It's good looking. It's it's a decent size. Visibility does kind of suck with the roof up, but <laughs> it's a convertible, so put the roof down. And it, exactly, it's, you can put it down while you're moving. Because I, you know, well, it was sunny out. I would do it on the exit ramp. Um, was there a watch. speed? Was there a max speed on that? There probably is. I. <laughs> Didn't do it while I was moving very quickly. I did, you know, it was like five or 10 miles an hour at the most. Okay. Um, just, yeah, it turns into a giant airfoil if you're not careful. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> Mercedes parts are not cheap to just, you know, <laughs> have them just get torn off the car. Uh, so, you know, from the earliest days of the C43, back in the late 90s, when they first came out with the C43 and it, it had the, I think it had a V8 in it at that point. That, that, that car is one of those ones that was on the list uh, I was a, a college student in my last year of school at that point, and I was like, I must own this someday. And that never happened. And now those C43s, which were kind of a touchstone 
they were kind of rusty and it's hard to find one that, that didn't get flogged and they're they're kind of expensive when you do find a good one. So they're they're kind of not on my list anymore <laughs> for practical reasons. But I'm pleased that you can still go and buy a C43. And while it's not exactly the same car for sure or the same formula, it's very entertaining. So I yes, I'd like it better as a coupe, but it's it's a very good convertible. Uh, and it, it even had red leather, which kind of... I like red leather. It, it won me I love over. red leather. Yeah, especially with white or black. And this was this is I love black. That. So um, it's a sharp car. And then I had to this week. I had to come down off my high a little bit, um, and I'm still driving a Nissan Pathfinder. It's I, I you know this is the platinum, so it has all the options and stuff. The Pathfinder is just such a mess to drive. It's a, it's it's a good family car. It's a good family mm-hmm. wagon, mm-hmm. but it's it's pokey. Now it just like it doesn't feel like it's all that lively, and it's just it feels big. Like we were talking about the Telluride last week and how surprisingly mm-hmm. nimble and and right. small that drives. The Pathfinder right. is the other way. The Pathfinder feels enormous, and it <sighs> it's just it's it's sloppy on the road. It's just, it not not my favorite car. Yeah, to drive. I just which Nissan. is impressive. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say it's impressive because it, it's actually classed as a small SUV by <gasps> PA. That's right. How do is. they class that as a small SUV? It's huge. Uh, because the the classifications are based on the gross vehicle weight rating, so the maximum weight of the vehicle and its payload. And so uh, Nissan limits the gross the GVW of the Pathfinder to 5,985 pounds. And oh, so it can tow like five hundred pounds. And any, any, anything, <laughs> anything under um, anything under six thousand pounds is considered small SUV. Over six thousand pounds is a standard SUV. That doesn't doing it by weight doesn't make any sense. This is the there's, government. I'm here to help. The, there, <laughs> there's a lot of things about corporate average fuel economy that don't make sense. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, though, it's nice and roomy, and I actually really like the second row seats in the Pathfinder because they, they clear a much better path than the, the Telluride because of the, the system that Nissan has where it lifts the front cushion of the second row seat as they slide forward. It opens up more space to climb into the back, uh, the third row of the Pathfinder. So that I thought was, was nice because that's sort of the Achilles heel of any of these three rows is that how much of an access you're going to get to that third row. And that's really sort of the one shortcoming of the Telluride is it they do their best to to make that path as big as it can be but it, the, the pathfinder is better in that sense to get in and out of so uh yeah it's just you know and it's not that i've been in premium hardware for the last couple of weeks and now to get a not 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 luxury brand car or just like a normal brand car um the, the pathfinder is just it, it's it's a good wagon queen family truckster if you buy you know based on a checklist but in terms of driving dynamics it it needs some attention to be better. Nissan is so frustrating because I think some of their products are just really good and they could be really good. There's just tweaks that they need to make to them that just don't get done for yeah. some reason. Yeah. I mean, it'd be great if it had a manual and, uh, you know, the, the V38 DT, <laughs> the, the, the GTR engine. You Those know? aren't exactly <laughs> the tweaks I was talking about. <laughs> Well, these are these are the tweaks that I would ask. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are, what are you, 
What are you driving? So I was out in California uh, last week. Actually, I just got back on Wednesday. And I, 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 I have to be, I have to give a shout out to General Motors because they did provide me with a vehicle for the week. However, the only vehicle that they had available was the Cadillac Escalade ESV Platinum in black. Well, then you don't need a hotel. Which it's I well I don't need a hotel, but I did need a no. This is not an Uber sign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could you could have earned a few extra bucks while you were out there. That's true. Definitely yeah. could have done <laughs> doing doing you know Uber but, XL. Exactly. But what was so interesting is that when I when I told somebody that I what I had, and I said something about you know I feel like I'm driving an Uber. She's like, what do you mean? And apparently in Southern California. Uh, especially not so much in, if it's not black, but a lot of other colors. But this is very much seen as a family car. And it's just I feel like the I don't know if the marketing just has skewed it so far uh, away from that in the greater New York area. But it, the the family car, if you're going to get a GM product, is the Tahoe. It's not the Escalade. Well, I, okay, the, I don't. Uh, how is that a family car, especially an eco-conscious California. Is it just because it's so big? It's a good place to spend time baking in the sun and idling on the 405 with the <laughs> know, air conditioner right? on? Or, or? I don't know. But sure enough, I mean, she was right. I was up in Santa Monica and then I went down to Newport Beach and I did see quite a few like typical soccer mom kind of women driving them. And I was fascinated by that. They, I, like I will say, as a, as someone with a family, I've got you know two smaller kids. I do love it, especially when I get the yeah. long wheelbase, full size SUVs. Yeah. I I adored the um, expedition. Uh, yeah, I, I got to tell you, reason. this thing was uh, it it was surprisingly a lot of fun to drive. Uh, just like the Telluride, it, it drove much smaller than it looks for sure. Parking was ridiculous. <laughs> You park, it's park. a Cadillac. You park it wherever you want. <laughs> Parking did require some planning and negotiating and such. Yeah. But, you know, it has all of the cameras and it has all the all the grids and everything you could possibly need, uh, you know, to park to park the boat. Um, but it, it was it was actually a surprisingly fun vehicle to drive. It has that small block V8. It's got a 10 speed automatic. And I actually I took a picture of my fuel economy because I was curious. So I drove it 212 miles and I got 14.4 miles per gallon, which is pretty darn good considering how much traffic is out there. I mean, I sat in a lot of traffic. So, so that's, I that's, thought that was pretty impressive. Does, that's does, the six point. Oh, go ahead. Does that one have auto stop start on it? It does. And okay. I did. I, I, I like to keep that activated because I'm always curious about the transparency of that. You know, that's a big engine to get started up again. And they did a fantastic job on making that pretty darn transparent to the user. So it, it's just I mean, it's a boat for sure. And it's over ninety eight thousand dollars, but man, it was a lot of fun. It really was. More, more, yeah, more I, like an aircraft carrier. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's, it's the Nimitz. I felt uh, very delicate in it. But you know, there there is a certain 
charm to them. Uh, and I can see, so if you're, for me, like Southern California seems like a ludicrous place. Uh, yes. For that. But again, I'm not from Southern California. So I'm sure Boston would also seem like a ludicrous place for it. And I, I not necessarily the ESVs, but the, you know, those, those things are everywhere here too, because they are, they, they have that utility portion of, of what they do. Sure. And, if you're a family that, that goes, you know, you pull the trailer or you go skiing up where it snows or whatever, you just need a versatile vehicle and you don't want to have to really be thinking about it. You just want, you want the thing to be ready and be able to handle whatever you need to do. Yes. Full-size SUVs do that. And they, they do it at a, at a penalty, of course, like your fuel economy wasn't great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because that has what, the 6.2? It has a 6.2 liter, but I mean, I know, no, it was, it, it, it in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't great, but probably seven, eight, nine years ago, that would have been more like 10, 11, 12. Yeah. Does that have so, um, cylinder deactivation too? It does. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, and that, and, yeah. They're doing everything they can other than making a hybrid. And I remember, I remember the Escalade hybrid. Yeah. hybrid. Yeah. They did make the hybrid. So, yeah. so there's a couple of things that I, I, the which they sold at least really 20 great. or 30 of. I tr- I yeah. liked that. I think I got about 17 miles to the gallon out of one. Yeah. So, I mean, the interior is really nice, super, super functional. They have the charging pad in the center console, like uh, the armrest. That's where the charging oh, pad is. So they want you to put your phone away and use Q. No, no, no. It's outside. It, oh. it sits outside the armrest, but it's accessible to four or five of the of the potentially eight occupants in the in the car because of where it is, which is really clever because not, you know, so everyone can kind of take turns charging their phone and it, it charged really, really well. So that was kind of a neat feature, I thought. And then, of course, it has room for a six pack in the cooler <laughs> that's tucked inside <laughs> of your of finest microbrew. <laughs> exactly. And my only complaint there was that you had to remember to turn it on every time you turned the car on. So like if we were doing a bunch of errands on Saturday uh, in the Orange, uh, California area, and I had to keep remembering to turn it on because we did have some some a cooler. We had we had some stuff in there, but otherwise, and the button was inside. I would I would have liked to have had the button outside just as a reminder, but it was really cool. I mean that was neat. The the unusual part was having the gear selector on the column on the you know on the steering wheel column. That was just so weird because I'm so used to having them in the center console now. And so it was kind of funny to go back to that very traditional steering column shifter. But it so works, though, doesn't it? It gets it out of the way. It, it did. It does work, I, except I kept putting it into low and then I have to go back up again. <laughs> but that was my own issue. But I mean, the, you know, the, the vehicle itself, the floorboards come out automatically. Like they just did so many little features and... And it was it was really it was a lot of fun to drive. I'm glad I don't own one, but it was a lot of fun to drive. If if this is the uh, if this is the vehicle you need for your lifestyle, uh, it's fantastic. I I can't complain about them. I, I just I love full size SUVs. Uh, realizing that they're a ridiculous choice, but uh, and it's been a while <laughs> since I've been in an Escalade, so I I would love to see where the interior. Uh, Sort of is because the last time I was in one, I was like, "Oh, we're we're in a Chevy truck." Yeah, I think. Yep. I, I will say that I think a, a very valid 
alternative is the top is the Chevy Tahoe or the GMC Yukon Denali. Yeah. Uh, for significantly less because I don't know that they have really differentiated it enough, the Cadillac enough to justify the price point. Um, but if luxury is, you know, a priority for you, this thing definitely is is a lot of fun. I mean, it, it really was. If, it was. If you great. actually need a three row giant SUV, you know, the Navigator or Expedition may actually be a better yeah. choice for you because the third row is actually more usable in those yes. because of the independent yeah. rear suspension. Sure. The, yeah. yeah, there should be a new, uh, the new uh, GM uh, full-size SUVs should be coming out next year and they are expected to adopt an independent rear suspension. Finally. Oh, that's right. I, I did. I do remember reading that recently. Um, that was actually surprising because it's, they've been holdout for so long. Um uh, and, uh, you know, it's funny the, that you mentioned, that, you know, going down to a Yukon or a, a Tahoe. Uh, I tend to prefer those more sort of commoner brands. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, because I, I tried the, I have had the Navigator a couple of times and yeah, yeah, it's it's nice and all. But um, the controls are actually kind of obtuse in it and mm. uh, it's it feels the design feels glitzy to me. Like it looks good in pictures. I, I'm not sure that I like it as much in person. Um, and the, the expedition was just, it, it had better, like more easy controls, more physical knobs and buttons and stuff. So simpler. And it was really, I had the expedition platinum. It was just as comfortable, if not more, the seat, I liked the seats better in the Ford. Uh, and it, it was still, really nicely appointed it's not a whole lot to complain about so yeah yeah i mean the biggest difference obviously the two you know there's a, a the yukon denali i think it has a 5.2 liter engine so the engine is definitely different you're not going to get quite as much power from it um but it's you know like 20 grand twenty five thousand yeah. dollars less so and that that is i guess that is a concern if oh you're i'm sorry talk. no i'm sorry the denali does have the 6.2 liter the denali has a 6.2 yeah. the, the so tahoe so the probably denali starts with a 5.3 right so the yeah. denali has the exact same engine in it for 70 and it starts at seventy thousand. so you oh, know there wow. it's just I mean, <laughs> barking you know. <laughs> 70 grand i could probably pay off my mortgage for that who needs college yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh but it it was really i have to say it was uh it was a lot of fun just you know it has it has such a great presence on the road uh and you know there's a lot of cars that kind of blend in that nobody sort of looks at twice um but the cadillac escalade esv definitely draws draws the eyeballs yeah uh, that's, well, I mean, I, I not necessarily everywhere i think you know, in Manhattan, for example, I don't think it, you know, I think it just kind of blends in because there's so many of them. That's true. Well, yeah. and, right. And they're and they're all Ubers. And that's <laughs> yeah, what's so interesting. Ubers are other black cars. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so but on the West Coast, I think they're still they're not seen quite as dramatically as like, I mean, I just I just assume that well, on the, on the West one. Coast, everybody uses Teslas for for Ubers. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you true. use a Tesla? Like, because it's California. Just, it's, yeah. Again, in today's episode of things that just don't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you also let's let's move on to the other luxury car you had too. Briefly, um, you had the you still have the Genesis G ninety and yes. Wait, and when we, we talked next? about this in in Slack a little bit, I 
my take on Genesis is that they're making really, really good late 90s German luxury cars. <laughs> um, so why don't I can wait for that till next week when I put some more miles on it. Although I do also have a very special vehicle coming next week. I have the Acura NSX, which I do love. Oh, I think we could probably find a whole episode worth of things to talk about, about the NSX. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I have the G90, the, the Genesis G90 all-wheel drive in Ultimate. And it's very nice. I mean, the the the, the appointments, the, the touch, the feel, the quality, the materials is very nice. Similar to your experience with the, the C43, though, I almost have to put this car in sport. It is so floaty in <laughs> in what they call smart mode. Yeah. That so so last year, uh, Genesis was is always very generous, and I usually go to Pebble Beach with them, and uh, they they cart us around in the G ninety, and my friend Fiona and I would sit in the back, and our driver would be up front, obviously, and I can get car sick pretty quickly. I've, I've, I've learned to manage it over the years, but um, Fiona almost never gets car sick and motion sickness or anything. And the two of us got so car sick almost every time that we started to almost hesitate. Like one of us, we would trade places sitting in the front because we were getting so car sick in the back. And driving this G90, I had that same feeling of just floating along. Like you don't have any, you don't have enough connection to the road. As soon as I put it in sport, the suspension tightened up, the RPMs tightened up, the steering to everything became more fun and more importantly, more connected to the road because I, it, it was just, it wasn't a good, it wasn't a good feeling. Which is disappointing because I think the car is beautiful. Um, but I don't know if others, I'd be curious to see if others, if other people have had this sensation, especially sitting in the back. Yeah, I, I don't, I make it a I, point to not sit in the back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I would agree that it's kind of soft. I didn't find it to be that floaty when I drove the G90. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's definitely on the soft side in normal mode or, or auto mode. Um, yeah. Sport mode definitely tightens things up. Definitely fun. I did try it a couple of years or so ago. I had the G70 in Korea and that was all sorts of fun. Um, but I just feel like the G90, they kind of, I, I don't know, they've just sort of overcorrected it. So as I said, I just got it. I actually, I, unfortunately, I only have it for a few days um, because we're, because I've got the NSX coming in. So we're doing some juggling on the cars, but um, I'm driving it down to New Jersey tomorrow and I'll get a better feel for all three because they have individual comfort and uh, this or individual smart and the sport mode. So I'll have a better idea of how it drives. But right now, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a fan of that, of that auto mode. Yeah, I, I like the individual modes usually where you can set them. So a lot of times I'm fine with the engine and transmission being set in their efficiency or comfort or whatever, where they, they don't hang on to RPM and we're not trying to be sporty. But I'll set the steering and the suspension to sport uh, mm-hmm. because I, I I want the chassis to be a little bit more lively. Versus, I don't I don't really yeah. care about revving the engine up everywhere. Um and so I like it when there's that individual setting you can you can add. I don't I don't know if that 
exists in the uh, G90, but it does. It does. Yeah. I'll play around with that a little bit. So this thing has a 5.0 liter V8 engine in it. I mean, yeah, it's, it's got 420 horsepower, eight speed automatic. And I, I will say I did. I did like the, the smooth gear transitions. I the when I put it in sport, it's a definite difference in the RPMs. Like you can really feel it, um, but it's it's a great engine. I mean, there's so many good things about it. That's why I'm hoping that I can get the suspension just as I like it, because I think it's it would be a really, really good vehicle to drive. Yeah, I I I like the G90. I like the, I like all of their sedans. What Genesis really needs is to make an SUV. Well, it's coming. They do. It's there, coming. Yeah, yeah, some spy photos just popped up uh, yesterday, I think, yesterday or today, of the uh, the GV80 that's coming next year, or actually okay. probably later this year. Yeah, get on it, Genesis. Yeah. We like you. We like your cars. Exactly. So just one <laughs> final point on this. It says, uh, with freight and handling, it's $77,345. a crazy good deal. I, I feel I like that's that's cheap for what you get. I think for a V8 engine for a 5.0 liter V8 engine. Um, but it still is, you know, I don't I don't know. I think people are still struggling with with spending that money on a luxury brand that isn't known as a luxury brand. And so I think that, you know, the, the good folks at Genesis, who we really do like a lot, they, you know, they have work to do on the image. I do love their ad campaigns. I think that they're so subtle. They're so beautifully done. But it's just building the brand up that they're going to they're going to no. they continue to, to work on. Well, I mean, that's that's the that's why they came out with the Hyundai Genesis in the first place, because they they knew that they had some work to, to do with, with launching a brand and it's, it's a billion dollar effort to launch a brand and, and yes. Have it yeah. So, uh, it's, they're working on it. Yeah. Yeah. At least. Yeah. Um, yeah, they are working. At, and the, and the main thing is that I think for the most part, the product is there. Uh, and as soon as the SUV comes though, I think that they'll do, they'll do really well with that. Yeah. I, I'm looking right now. I'm looking at, um, the Genesis site, they have a, a future vehicles uh, for the GV80. And so it looks like it's the um, the concept or, or just a rendering. Man, it has yeah. cool looking wheels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, hope, I don't want to clean them, but I, <laughs> I hope they bring those to market. It's just, you know, Genesis and, and Hyundai and, and all of their brands have shown that they're very motivated to, to do what they set out to do. And... I if anybody can pull it off, I think it's it's that company at this point. Well, and so. and the designers there, I mean, they, they have I think they have fantastic people behind the brand. Yeah. I as you know, I, I just I want Korea to kind of leave them alone and let them do their thing because nobody does these kinds of things better than Manfred Fitzgerald and the group that he has. Right. They've got a them. nest of Germans over there. <laughs> they do. It's just, they have great, you know, Erwin Raphael and Kate. And I mean, they just have really, really good people working there that have a very clear vision of what they want this brand to be. And they, they just, you know, they're, I think the main thing is that, that Korea needs to leave, leave them alone and let them do their thing. Cause these are pros. Yeah. Well, all right. Topic time. <laughs> um, speaking of, I I can't even link it together. I was just we, we talked last week about the the FCA and Renault thing, and now that is apparently 
blown up. Uh, the the rumor that I guess I picked up from it was that FCA and Renault fell apart because of Renault's relationship with Nissan, but also there was some f- sort of French government meddling in there. Yes. It's just all it just yeah. Well, all the, the, the French the French government owns twenty percent of Renault. Right? Is and it fifteen? I thought it was 15. It's 15. Okay. Maybe it might lot. be 15 now. Yeah. It used, it used to be 20%. It may, it's probably 15 now. Um, so the, they own a significant chunk of Renault. And a big part of, you know, Renault has, you know, prior to his arrest, you know, Carlos Ghosn had been trying to uh, engineer a merger of Renault and Nissan, you know, because right now through the alliance, they, they're partners, but they, you know, it's not one company like, Fiat Chrysler is. Uh, so, you know, you've got this this kind of strange relationship. Um, and, you know, Renault owns, I think, 40% of Nissan versus, I think, only about five or less than 10% that Nissan owns of Renault. And Nissan has been unhappy with the relationship for some time um, because they feel that Renault has too much control over what Nissan does, um, even though Nissan is a bigger company, they sell almost twice as many vehicles a year as Renault does. And Nissan has been pushing for the French government to reduce its stake in Renault you know, so that they can try to make this relationship more equal between Renault and Nissan. And all of that, you know, uh, apparently... The as part of this proposed merger with FCA, Renault and FCA, the French government wanted to um, kind of slow that down a little bit and deal with the, the Nissan issue first and, you know, figure out what they were going to do with Nissan. And FCA said, you know, apparently said, no, forget it. <laughs> we're we're out of here. And, you know, they walked away from the deal. So, because yeah. they felt like the, the French government was was not – being a reliable partner in that or that I think it's more that they uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily describe it as not being a reliable partner, but more that, you know, they weren't um, they weren't doing enough to streamline the deal. Let's put it that way. I see. So so maybe just uh, making sure we keep those those French plants open, those union jobs in, in France and um, yeah, I, th- I think I, I think that the, they I don't think they were really comfortable with the idea. Of, well, first of all, people were really pushing, saying that Nissan had to be part of this conversation and more than they were, because initially Fiat Chrysler said, you know, this is we just want to talk to Renault. And as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, since this has been going on, it's sort of like, you know, it's like sister wives. Well, it doesn't really always work like that. <laughs> you know, like you all kind of have to talk to each other. That's the, that's, and so, that's, that's the wackiest <laughs> metaphor I think we've had on the podcast. And, and I guess, I guess, you know, Nissan's not crazy about doing anything with FCA because I guess they still have hard feelings about the the whole Ram Titan deal that fell apart back in two thousand nine. Oh, that's right. And then, oh, what about? Isn't there a lawsuit from Reed Bigland too? That's out there. Well, well that's a, yeah, that's a whole that's separate, totally separate. That's a whole separate issue. Yeah. Um, but yeah, back in you know in two thousand eight two thousand nine, um, Chrysler before Fiat Chrysler had a deal with uh, Nissan 
to do a badge engineered version of the the RAM, the you know what, what became the 2009 RAM, as a second generation Titan, and after um, after Chrysler went through bankruptcy and then got taken over by Fiat, um, they canceled that deal, and so Nissan had to go back and basically start from scratch and design a whole new Titan on their own, uh, which you know they were not they were not thrilled about that. Uh, although they did get the Cummins uh, five liter v- diesel V eight out of the deal, which was originally supposed to go into the Ram as well, and and uh, after fight after Fiat took over, they they uh, dropped those plans and went with uh, their own three liter V six diesel. Was and that, that was that a Motori diesel that wound up in there? Yeah, yeah, yep. So it was that strange, strange, strange enough. There's actually a Cadillac connection there too. That's right, because, because Cadillac paid that, for that the engine, funding. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that engine was originally developed as a 2.7 liter that had been announced by Cadillac. You know, in 2007, they were going to start putting it into uh, Cadillac vehicles in 2009, uh, at least in the European market and possibly also in North America. And when they went through bankruptcy, they they. They killed that program. That was one of many programs that died uh, in bankruptcy. And so that engine got reworked into a three-liter version, which went into Jeep Grand Cherokees and Rams. So much intrigue. (laughs) This is better than a soap opera. I mean, mean, seriously. You've got got the French (laughs) and the Italians. So right there, off the bat. And then... You add in, you know, Nissan and America. It's just, it's it's a, a global tryst. I don't I don't know what else to say. <laughs> so, where does this leave FCA? Because I think they also just announced a partnership with a very small EV startup, like today or yesterday. FCA. Yeah, I thought I had seen something. Yeah, some kind of part. Hang on, while I go to the Google and. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> while know, while like, you're while minute. you're doing that, I will I will share the thoughts that I shared with Joanne Muller the other day. <clears throat> you know, one one way that this could possibly play out for FCA, and I'd, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this, Rebecca, is mm-hmm. you know potentially um, going back and working with um, with Volkswagen because mm-hmm. Volkswagen you know is looking for you know it, it seems like they're looking for partners to take up some of the slack. Um, with um, uh, for for their electrification programs for mm-hmm. the MEB, you know they they would like to get more volume out of the MEB platform. Sure, and you know they've been in talks with Ford for a while now. Um, the it sounds like from from what I've heard that the talks on the electrification side have largely been shelved, you know, and put and pushed to the side while they're focusing on autonomous stuff. Um, and so perhaps, you know, what we might end up seeing is a partnership where FCA gets to use the MEB platform uh, for some of their electric programs, uh, you know, doing a deal with Volkswagen uh, and possibly even, um, you know, maybe using the, the PPE platform, which is their premium um, uh, electric pr- platform, which is. Uh, the next generation on, you know, they've got the, the J1 platform is what's going to be used for the Taycan, the Porsche Taycan and the Audi mm-hmm. e-tron GT. And then from that, that's evolving into this PPE platform, which is their next generation premium performance platform. That would be great for FCA 
to potentially use for Maserati and maybe even Alfa Romeo uh, models going forward. And so, you know, that that's a deal that, you know, short, maybe short of a full merger um, or a takeover would be an interesting approach, you know, that would be beneficial to both Volkswagen and to FCA, you know, to get more scale, to give FCA, FCA access to electrified platforms and to get more scale for those platforms for Volkswagen. What do you think? I think that's a really good idea. As I, I would picture this, though, as more of, um, I don't know if I have the right words, but sort of uh, it's more of, of a casual relationship, if you will, rather than a full-on merger. Because I with think With Volkswagen, that, you mean? Yes, yeah. Right, yeah. with Volkswagen. Yeah, no, yeah. that's, that's, that's I, I guess I would say it, put it as a little more than casual, but, you know, a more formal partnership, but not a, not a, not a merger. Clo- something closer, not, something closer to what the Renault-Nissan Alliance is. But maybe uh, without the cross it, shareholding. Let's call it friends with benefits. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, because, you know, I'm as you know, I'm a big fan of if if companies and brands have a commonality in the customer that they're serving in that voice of the customer. So I think that the voice of the customer for brands like Fiat and Dodge and and Chrysler Volkswagen, that sort of mainstream, I think those mainstream brands, I think they could be served, especially on electrification, because you're not necessarily, I mean, it's interesting because Volkswagen has been pushed into being a early adopter sort of brand, but that's not really who their customer at, at, at the mainstream level is. At the luxury level, though, especially when they have a separate platform like they do, if they can spread that over, you know, into Alpha, into Maserati. I I don't know if they would share it all with Ferrari at all. But, you know, then there's again, they're serving a different customer. That, that voice is a little bit different, a little bit more posh. And but they to get those economies of scale could be really significant in terms of preserving or trying to get to profitability on these products that have such high investment in, you know, intensity. So I think that could be really, really interesting and definitely something to look at further. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and given that, you know, EVs are growing and, they're, you know, they're going to continue to grow at a fairly strong pace, but they're still going to remain, you know, we, you know, like our projections at, at Navient are that by 2030, um, EVs, battery, like full battery EVs are still only going to account for about 20% of global sales in mm, by 2030. Wow. So, you know, it's still a fairly small fraction of overall sales. I mean, you know, at that point, you know, that's over 20 million vehicles a year. But, you know, <coughs> if you can, if you can share some satellite. of that, if you can share some of that investment across a broader range of vehicles and, you know, yeah. one, one of the things about EVs, you know, as you shift from internal combustion engines to EVs, you know, internal combustion engines have, you know, that's always been a, a, a key product differentiator, you know, kind of the way engines sound, feel and sound uh, has been a, a way that companies, manufacturers have differentiated their products from one another. But when you get into EVs, that's it's a lot harder to do with an EV, you know, short of just, you know, pure raw acceleration numbers or, you know, efficiency. The actual character of the vehicle does not really change all that much, you know, from one Mm -hmm. EV to another. And so, uh, you know, 
the the need for everybody to have their own motors and their own battery packs becomes a lot less in that case, you know, and and you're going to focus on other areas for how you differentiate your your uh, your model lines. Right, exactly. I mean, and the thing is that, you know, as always with when you're looking at sharing componentry, it's what is the customer touch? What you know, what do they care about and what do they how do they differentiate a vehicle? And as you say, you're you're we're going to start differentiating things differently. And it's a, it's a very tired comparison, but it's tired because it works. When you think about your phone, we have a very different different definition of a phone than we did you know, 15 years ago. And so with that evolution in potentially 15 years, we could be looking at how we define a car very, very differently as well. And a lot of those parts, just, the, you know, customers don't care what the circuit boards in our phones look like when they don't care what the circuit boards in the cars look like either. The main thing is, does it work? And, and the batteries are the same kind of thing. I kind of care that they've got like surface mount technology on my phone that I can't use or service when it breaks, but that's just me. Yeah, but you're a geek, <laughs> yeah. so that doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we're seeing that kind of consolidation across the, the entire market too, like BMW and, and Jaguar Land Rover are doing the same yeah. kind of thing. Right. Yeah, they, 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 they have to. Yeah, they just announced a deal to partner on electric powertrains, so – but they have to, though, because these things are so incredibly expensive and require such high investment at a time when consumer demand doesn't match. You know, I mean, that's the key thing, too, here is that this isn't uh, this isn't a case where consumers are, are tugging and tugging at the demand pole to say, I want these vehicles. They're really being pushed onto the market. And your goal here is limiting your loss. You know, it it, it reminds me of when I, years ago I worked at Banana Republic and when we had our outlet stores, it was just about managing the loss. We knew that we everything we sold there, nothing was sold for profit. And so you just knew it was going to the outlet and you're managing that loss. How, you know, what, what's the, how can we minimize the loss at the outlet store? And it kind of reminds me of this where, you know, you're, how do we minimize the loss of every EV that we sell? Yeah, well, they, they have to sell some EVs too. So that was the issue that, you know, that got us compliance cars. But I think they're in this place now where they need to figure out in the, in the, the sort of startup world they call it what demand creation or demand generation they they need to figure that out and how to create the demand for something that's not a tesla uh tesla has certainly masterfully created a demand for their product uh right but they haven't created a demand for electric vehicles right and, and so that's well i think what what they have done is demonstrated that electric vehicles can be appealing on in their own right without with, aside from the um you know, the green factor, you know, that they, yeah. they can be an appealing product uh, in and of themselves. But what they haven't done is demonstrated that they can that they can function. You know, they can be a, you know, a real functioning automaker that yeah. can reliably <laughs> build the products and service them and deliver them to customers. Well, yeah, well, I think the the e-tron and the take ons will be will be really telling in terms of of future demand for EVs. Yeah, I've heard nothing bad about the e-tron. Uh, it, it just it looks like everybody is saying well, you haven't, you haven't read Dan Neal's review, have you? No, I have not. <laughs> um, <laughs> but in, in terms of the impressions, you know, everybody seemed to kind of 
be impressed as you were, Sam, about like, yeah, they actually, they put a, a good car together that delivers and what they say it's going to do. And it, they did some very thoughtful, clever engineering. So some of those uh, trade-offs that you make for every EV are, are sort of lessened here and, and they do out Tesla Tesla in some ways. Um, but so that's still on the model of we're going to make an, uh, an EV and it's going to be a premium brand and the people who buy it are not nearly as concerned about money. It's not an economic play. It's a, it, it's a luxury good play. Um, and so if you're FCA, right. and- that's tough for you, right? Like you, you need to find the white space in the market. Certainly you can do that with Jeep and you can do that with Ram. I guess you make the premium version and have the EV, but what about a Dodge EV? Like what's that going to be? How yeah. are you going to generate the demand for that? Well, do you need to do that? Does every brand have to have an EV? Uh, you know, I mean, it, Certainly, you certainly have to have be able to sell enough volume of EVs to be able to meet regulatory mandates. You know, uh, in places on like corporates that. on a corporate basis, right? Though. But you know, and and certainly for FCA, um, you know, right now, you know, Dodge, you know, is a is a shrinking brand for them. You know, Ram and Jeep are, you know, th- those are the volume brands. That, that's where you've got to get some electrification is into those two brands, and you know, for for Chrysler, you know, or for Ram, you know, how, you know, Jeep, they're, you know, they're already on that pathway to electrifying those. Yeah. But um, Ram, you know, is going to be a challenge. You know, they're going to have to figure out how they're going to handle electrifying some, you know, some Rams. For well, sure. they're already starting well, this... though, right? Like with the, the hybrids and stuff with the battery that's in the yeah, back but the, and... Yeah, the, yeah, I mean, those are mild hybrids, but eventually they're going to have to have some plug-ins as well. To meet, yeah, but, know, uh, if, but if, if they're also, not going to if they're not going to keep buying Zev credits from from Tesla <laughs> in perpetuity, they're going to have to have some plugins of their own. This is also where I could see some negotiating going on between Volkswagen and them to potentially be able to to if they can combine somehow somehow get enough of a of a merger that they can count their credits. You know, and, and who knows what ha- what happens with CAFE in the future also, because now it's changing with every presidential administration. So, you know, we could see a change. And if there's some way for them to be able to either continue to buy credits, as you say, or that conversation takes on a life of its own in terms of, of what counts now as CAFE. Right. Well, the you know, the cost of buying credits, you know, that's going to get increasingly costly. Um, for these companies, you know, that, that can't meet the, the mandates on their own because the percentage of plug-in vehicles that they have to sell in places like California and the other nine ZEV states is going to continue increasing, you know, unless, unless the feds can win their court battle to revoke California's waiver, um, their Clean Air Act waiver. Right. Oh, that's, um, that's, that's going to take at least a couple of years, though. Like that, yeah. that decision yeah. <laughs> or that that battle is going to go all the way to the Supreme Court, unless the Supreme Court decides not to hear it. But if that's yeah. what happens too, then you've got lower court decisions that are going to stand. Like that's just going to be a mess. Then. Right. But yes. you know, in, in the meantime, you know, the, as you said before, you know, the economics of EVs are still very challenging, you know, especially at the mainstream, uh, in the mainstream segments, you know, at the high end, you can kind of make it work. You know, if you can have an appealing enough vehicle, you know, and, and you can, reliably build it, you know, and, uh, you know, actually, you know, do it, you can potentially do it profitably in the premium segments, but that's not enough volume, you know, so you've got to also sell some mainstream EVs in order to, you know, to get the volumes that you need. And, 
you know, today, you know, if you look at, you know, the, the, for 200 mile EVs, you know, everything, you know, is going to be in the 35 to $40,000 price range at a minimum. And, you know, the, the example I gave when I was on this panel at, at this UBS conference this week uh, was, you know, look at the Kia Nero. The, you can buy a base Kia Nero hybrid that gets 50 miles per gallon for just over $22,000. You can buy a Kia Nero EV, which is a really great EV that gets 239 miles of range, starts at $39,000. And with the federal tax credit, you're down to about 32. So you're looking at $8,500 to $9,000 difference cost premium to go from a 50 mile per gallon hybrid to an electric version of the same vehicle. And with the fuel savings there, the payback period is going to be about 34 years. Yeah, I was going to say. So for for the average consumer that drives, you know, 12, 15,000 miles a year, the economics of an EV just don't work. It doesn't make. But you can't. But that's not why you buy one. That's the thing is that you're supposed to buy it to save the environment. Well, yeah, so, but you're right. not going to find <laughs> enough consumers that feel that way. That's buy, the problem. Buy the I brand new that. car. Know. You know, if you want to save the environment, I don't think Tesla and EVs are a really great uh, example to point to. Given uh, I, I'm, I'm repeating marketing. Yeah, I, I'm not. I don't actually believe that. But you know, it's just like it's it just reminds me of um, Ed Niedermeyer's sort of fascinating look at what's been going on in Fremont. Um, cars aside, just how mismanaged that plant has been, and all of the just just straight nonsense. <laughs> well, yeah, like, well, I mean, the whole the whole company is just you know it's is a mess. You know, it's it's not about you know whether they're electric or not. It's just a very badly managed company because yeah, you know, Elon may have some great ideas and some stupid ideas too. But he, you know, the the. You know, the overall philosophy of wanting to do the right thing for the environment. I'm all for that. But he should not be running the company. Right. That's that's he needs a new set of people actually running the day to day so that he can go off and do crazy ideas because that's what we need him for. Who says we need him? (laughs) I I do. We need people that push the envelope. We need people that that push boundaries like that, that think of crazy things like let's go to Mars and, and push and push and no, push to make need, it a reality. we don't need to go to Mars. I, I know, but the idea, <laughs> look what he's done with SpaceX. It's brilliant. Space, well, so I again, mean, like this is why I say I we do don't need him need because him. it's a, it gives, all of a sudden becomes a cult of personality and, and we forget the people at Tesla who helped really build Tesla um, that weren't Elon and SpaceX is the same same thing, you know, a lot of hardworking people. There so. is, but but there's people, but there, we still do need people like him to motivate and to and to rally sure. people. And I mean, he, from that standpoint, I, I do think that he also needs to hire adults. <laughs> he needs to. to he needs to Tesla. be an adult, though. Like yes, that. and I've said that. I've I have said that on the air on CNBC. Because I do believe it is that he his, the way that the the childish mind is where imagination lives, and but it's not where running a company well, lives. Uh, a childlike mind, childish. A childlike yeah, mind. See, yeah. Child, childish. You don't you don't a want childish. Ch- you want yeah. <laughs> a childlike mind. But I and that's what I appreciate about yeah, him. I, I would it would be terrifying to work for him. But but I think that 
you know, but I do think that he needs to have very experienced people running the company now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we need visionaries for sure. I just at a certain point, the right smart visionaries know when to just like get out of the way, you know, like, uh, you learn these things hopefully through self-discovery. You know, like I, I've learned I'm a, I'm, I'm a good starter. Sometimes there, there are things <laughs> where I wind up uh, needing to really buckle down with sort of the, the sustaining part of that. But the starting phase where it's just it's new and it's interesting, that that gets you know you get going with that. So once you learn these things about yourself, then you can, you can kind of make sure that you're you're not the problem. Uh, and and that you know a lot of people like to compare Elon to Steve Jobs you know and this is the thing that I that I always tell people is that they are they couldn't be the two of them couldn't be more different because you know what you know where where Elon fails and Jobs succeeded is that Jobs especially when he came back to Apple in 1997 he was self-aware enough to realize that he didn't care about and wasn't good at that day-to-day operational stuff that was not where his strengths lied. Late, you know, he he liked you know to develop the product vision and, and you know focus on what are the things that the company should be doing at a high level, and you know working with his design team with Johnny Ive and you know and, and the rest and the engineering team to create great products. And he was smart enough to bring in people like Tim Cook and you know and and also to put the you know the other leader you know leadership team in place to handle all that day-to-day stuff that he you know knew he wasn't good at and didn't really care about elon does not have that self-awareness he thinks he's the only one that can do it all you know yeah. and that everything has to be done exactly his way and he's he's you know a total micromanager and that's the last thing you need in a big organization you in a you know in a company with 40,000 employees you cannot run it that way one person cannot run the company that way you have to have you have to be able to delegate you know to you know to the organization and count on them to do the right thing and and put the right people in place and give them the authority and the responsibility to do those jobs and then you you can have an organization like apple to be fair Ho- hopefully without the $1000 monitor stance yeah <laughs> it's not even a visa stand uh but but to be fair jobs was an asshole tyrant too oh absolutely <laughs> he 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 totally was yeah, for sure <laughs> but but he, you know, he was, but, you know, he, he was able to step away from, you know, the operational stuff. He was able to recognize his weaknesses and, and get the right people in, in those positions to pick up the slack in those places that he wasn't good at. Elon does not recognize any weaknesses in himself. Yeah. Which is a weakness in and of itself. Yes. And that's like pretzel logic. Anyway, uh, so- <laughs> So speaking uh, of electric yeah, vehicles, let's get let's get back back on track. <laughs> Take it away. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. So, so Volkswagen uh, this week during the NBA Finals launched a new ad campaign um, with with an, an ad uh, called "Hello Light." Um, have either of you two watched this ad? Yes, I had some. So because we're an advertising agency, it went around internally and. Um, I had to be the buzzkill on Slack about it. Everybody really was like, oh, this is great. This is marvelous. This is wonderful. And I was like, uh-huh. So. I, I'm surprised I didn't see it only because I've been watching the NBA playoffs. So it must have been when I was, um, oh, was it Wednesday night? 
Because uh, I was flying. Yeah, I didn't I, see I, the whole I game. Think that, yeah, I think it launched on Wednesday, yeah. Tuesday or okay, Wednesday. Yeah, so I missed it. Yeah. Uh, it's Simon and Garfunkel, uh, Sound of Silence, and... It's very it's it's an interesting evocative it, ad, and it's actually very good. Um, yeah, but my, what do you think about, about the message? So, so for those for those that haven't seen the ad, yeah, you know, as, as as you said, Dan, it's you know you got the sound of silence uh, playing, and the first half of the ad, you're hearing um, audio clips from news reports, you know, through late 2015 and early 20 and into 2016. You know, as Dieselgate was breaking, and so it's you know it's it's all these you know clips you know essentially you know Volkswagen what they seem to be trying to do with this is acknowledge you know that yes we screwed up with diesels with with the diesel emissions we shouldn't have done this and now we're trying to make up for it and then you know it transitions into uh, into this you know teaser for the the id buzz you know the the new microbus that's coming um you know but you know showing a concept that debuted two and a half years ago and won't be coming to market for at least another two and a half years and you know saying we're going electric which you know i showed it to my wife you know we as, as we oh, talked what did, about what did before, your wife think of it? We 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 owned um, you know we owned a, a Jetta TDI wagon for seven, almost seven years uh, that we sold back to Volkswagen, and you know she was she was pretty pissed about that. I mean she loved she loved that car. She loved driving that car, but she was pretty pissed about the whole thing. And uh, you know she thought the ad was disingenuous. That's and was d- yes. was bullshit. I that was about my take on it. Um, because well, there was a couple of things in there that really sort of left me going this this shit again. Um, Boomer nostalgia with Simon and Garfunkel. Um, yep. Enough of like the Woodstock generation and that the way the Volkswagen bus was linked up with with them. I, I we we all get it. <laughs> you you had a good time in the sixties. We we get it. Um, but. Really, the the it's an interesting bit of recompense. Like I I like that they're acknowledging like, hey, we screwed up, um, but this doesn't this doesn't whitewash it all the way. You know, like they cheated on emissions. They knew they were cheating on emissions, and they it was a period of years. And now to try to say like, oh, you know what? Like it was it was a bad thing, but like look, we're making it all all good now with this new product that's not even here that we've created a beautifully produced ad for it's, it's a lovely ad. Um, and it was expensive, <laughs> but, uh, it, it's very, I, I don't know. It just, it, it feels disingenuous to me. It feels, feels like, um, they're trying to burnish their image and, uh, this is their shot at doing it. And especially sort of just like jumping on to the interest behind both EVs right now and the fact that anytime you show that there's a new VW bus coming, people are going to get excited, especially the baby boom generation, which still buys a lot of cars. So they're, they're going to, you know, look at it, be interested in it, talk about it, chatter about it. And and so you'll get, you'll get some, some marketing hay made from that, but it's kind of cynical, isn't it? Uh, I, I, Go ahead, go, Sam, go, no, go ahead, Rebecca. 
You're, you're the marketing I, expert here. Yeah. <laughs> well, keep in mind, you know, Scott Keogh, who's the, he's the um, president and CEO of Volkswagen Group of America. He is a marketer first and foremost, and he's a very slick New Yorker. Very, I find him to be very authentic, though. And so I'm sure that he was a, a, the voice behind this. Um, I think they're in a really tricky I mean, there's almost no good way to kind of uh, broach this subject because you're not going to get everybody to agree on their approach either. So I, I do give them kudos for at least acknowledging it and not pretending like it never happened. Yeah, I'll, I'll, give, them, uh, I'll, I'll give them props for that. That's, you good. know, and and there is an there there's they run a very tricky path because, you know, there is the nostalgia play. And as you say, Dan, there are still a lot of baby boomers buying Volkswagens. But at some point, you have to move beyond that because you are now appealing to Gen Xers. And and we really liked Volkswagens as well. Uh, But, you know, the younger generation doesn't necessarily have a clear point of view of what Volkswagen is. And I do think that some of them are probably deeply offended even if they never owned a Volkswagen they would be you know outraged at the at the blatant lies and and corporate uh malfeasance that went on there so you know I think that there's I think they would have a a, there's always there's going to be a diverse amount of reactions anytime you approach this kind of ad now I do think it's also interesting uh, I was reading that they were they were debuting it in the women's world cup I think today as what is today the eleventh. I don't even know. Uh, oh no, in two days. I'm sorry. They're um, they're going to be running another ad in the Women's World Cup, which will be interesting to see as well. But I think that you know, with the people that are at Volkswagen that are running the show right now, I think they figure that you know they've got to do something, and and it's pulling it's pulling at the heartstrings. It's acknowledging what they've done. You know, it kind of checks a lot of the boxes that people recommend. I. Yeah, I, but that's what it feels like is a, a box checking exercise like this is textbook. If you want to start rebuilding your image, here's the things you need to do. And maybe I'm too close to the industry. Yeah, I've been thinking that like, you know, look at I mean, in some ways at first, my first my initial reaction was, does anybody outside the industry remember Dieselgate? But certainly the owners do. Right. And that's the and thing. And that's too. at least half a million people in this country. Yeah, well, right. And so it's smart to do that. But yeah, I mean, do people know they're being played? Are they being played? I don't know. Uh, they're definitely. So in terms of being too close to, well, I, I feel like I'm too close to both industries the sort of the automotive <laughs> and the advertising industry. Because I looked at that, I was just like, I see right through your nonsense. And mm-hmm. uh, it's an emotional ad. If you get caught up in it it's again it's beautifully done and i love the original air-cooled volkswagen bus and so it's it's hard for me to not feel an affinity for for that and uh just the the story it tells of how we burned the midnight oil and we we tried to make it better after we made it worse and here's this new thing and it's a new bus and that's that's all cool and it's I don't have a problem with the vehicle. Like, I think the vehicle is probably going to be good if it's actually, you know, what we get. How can you argue with a van, <laughs> you know, an electric van? But, should, but you know, shouldn't they also be 
you know, maybe focusing on some of the product that's actually going to be, you know, coming sooner, you know, and, and, you know, some of the stuff they have now, like, you know, the e-tron, well, the, you know, this is not an Audi ad, but, you know, as, as a group, as a Volkswagen group, you know, they, they're going to be launching a whole slew of new electric vehicles, you know, starting with the ID3 later this year in Europe. Um, we're not going to get that one. We're going to get the ID cross next year. Um, you know, but there's, it just seems like, you know, maybe, um, the, the, you know, the focus on the van, you know, is that part of it, you know, is kind of, you know, maybe the cynical part of it, you know, along with the music, it, it does come across as, is maybe a little bit cynical. Yeah. And so if we, if I take my emotions out of it and look at it from a, a marketer standpoint too, like, yes, you're already introducing new cars. You're going to have new ones on the market. That's fine. Um, they're they're not gonna get you you can't make an ad for them even with a simon and garfunkel song that is going to get or going to have the potential for earned media that this one does because it's it's a new volkswagen bus and you know news directors looking for chitter chatter talk points to to fill that last 30 seconds of their their broadcast are going to pick up on this and so it, it's going to be one of those things that I, I think they, they went for some, doing this, even though the product's not here yet, to generate some, some interest. And, but also, uh, it, it probably can have a larger footprint um, than advertising one of the other products that, that's going to be here sooner. I, I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And, and they're, you know, they're in such a tough spot because almost Every time they broach the subject, every time they talk about uh, you know, bring this $50 million investment in electric vehicles, it's, you know it's because they have to. Well, so you, but you right? don't know it's because they have to. And that's, that's, I'm sorry, it's 50, it's 50 billion. Yeah. I was thinking million sounded really low. 50 billion. But, well, they, they do have to. It's court ordered. Yeah, no, I understand that. But well, the, the general public doesn't know. That that's what they have. No, to do. actually, the 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 develop you know the development of EV, of EVs is not court ordered. That's not part of the settlement. It's this a, is something electrify that, America. That they decide, yeah, yeah. The the EV charging network is part of their settlement. The the investment you know fifty billion dollar investment in new product is it, it's driven obviously driven in part by the need to move on from diesel. Uh, but it's you know it's a decision that they made on their own, and actually you know that that pro you know that whole process started before Dieselgate. Yeah, I mean I've, everyone was developing EVs before Dieselgate, right? Yeah. I mean everyone was was involved in EVs, and I'm not saying they wouldn't have had EVs. And they're and as I said, I'm a big fan of their Audi EV, the e-tron. Um, it's just I think that the marketing the marketing is always going to be tricky. In this particular case. So they actually have a second, they have a new branding campaign called Drive Bigger, which is going to debut during the FIFA World, uh, Women's World Cup on June 11th. So I don't know if I've, I don't know if I want, if either of you have seen no, an ad for I that haven't. yet, but that's, so that's coming up then as well. Um, it's a vision for the brand to do better and commit to its plans with honesty is what I've been told. Well, they better not pick another damn baby boomer song. No offense to any baby boomers. <laughs> just, just, you know what? What my first reaction to was like, oh, Paul Simon's such a jerk. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> and they used they didn't even use the actual like the original version of that song. So the original version was just acoustic. It was it was, yes. it was Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel that was what they had done for their CBS test. And then while they're in Europe touring, CBS was like, "Hey, we want to make this the single. Um, can you get some some art some." session musicians on it and what makes that song great is the just the session musicians that figured out how to play with the push and pull of the time on on the the story behind that song is really fascinating you should go check it out well you know given that you're promoting electrification you probably want a band playing electric instruments right right Right. Oh no 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 no! Does it hear? Now they're going to pick something from 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 uh, Newport sixty five, right? When Dylan went electric. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You are in the weeds, my friend. Oh, Deep. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I, All sorts of yeah, fun things. Yeah, I mean, I'd be okay if they used the version of the Star Spangled Banner from Woodstock that Jimi Hendrix did. That's totally fine with me. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> Make it drop on July 4th. All will be forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we've done a podcast. <laughs> I think so, too. <laughs> yes, I do have to just have to finish up on a very serious note. Oh, um, yes. Our one of our colleagues, uh, Davey Johnson, uh, has gone missing in the uh, in the Sierra Nevada area, the um, Calaveras and an Amador County area of Northern California. Uh, he's been missing uh, since uh, Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. yeah uh, Wednesday, June 5th. And they found his motorcycle. They found possessions. They found clear evidence of him parking uh, on Route 49, heading northbound by uh, Big Bar Launch. And they are still actively looking for him. So it's we're just sending out our you know, thinking of of Davy, his fiance slash girlfriend, depending upon how closely you know them, uh, Jacqueline Trope, and just you know his friends and family, and and hope it has a good resolution. Yeah, yeah. I it was actually it was like one o'clock last night, and I was still looking at my my phone. My wife was like, "What are you, what are you up to?" And it's like Davy's still missing, and um, it's it's kind of you know this isn't really a big industry, and. Yeah. We've all talked to each other. We all know each other, even if we're not like super tight, like it's, it's enough to shake you up a bit, you know? And, and it's, it's, uh, I think too, because he was, he was part of Jalopnik when I was part of Autoblog too. So there's mm. that sort of camaraderie there. It, it, it does. It hits quite, quite close. Yeah, I mean, he was, so. he was one of the key writers that, that gave Jalopnik its original voice, you know, back yeah. in, you know, 2006, 2007, when, when all this stuff was kicking off. And, uh, you know, he, he more recently, he's been the Northern California editor for Car and Driver. He's, he's written for a lot of publications over the years. And he's a really interesting writer uh, and an interesting guy, too. Yeah. 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 Yeah, he really is. So we just wanted to, you know, acknowledge that. And and if anybody, if any of our listeners are up in that area and um, there's big search parties going on, there's uh, professionals that are, are heavily involved in the case uh and so we're just we're just thinking about that yeah 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 and i we should thank them too they've been working hard and, and everybody's on the edge of our seats waiting for updates and uh in the meantime those folks are trying to give them to us so yes yep yeah so just thinking of them yeah all right well until next week uh please go to uh, apple podcasts 
give us a review. Let us know what's uh, what's on your mind. Um, and you can find us on social media. Uh, we are at WheelBearingsCast. Only vowel is the A in cast on Twitter. Uh, we're, we're around. You know where to find us. So. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll see everyone next week. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.